Too Late with Alan Mosley. So for folks at home, in case you're wondering, uh, first degree, there's first and second degree. First okay. degree wanton endangerment in the state of Kentucky wanton. is a class D felony punishable up to $10,000 and up to five years in prison. Okay. And second degree is uh, $500 and up to 12 months in prison. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't know why you would need that information, I but now you know. What, but, but what is what actually is wanton endangerment? It's it's wanton for people wanton. who know how to read. Wanton, but sure. I'm not saying there's any reason why you would need to know that. I'm just sure. saying if you happen to be in Kentucky okay. and you happen to know someone who gets charged with wanton endangerment as opposed right. to first degree murder, right? I'm just saying that that's what it would be. Okay. Even though we don't really even know what one, but I, but I have no. There's no reason for us to believe we would need to know that. No, because no one would be charged with that if they walked into someone's house and blew them away. Yeah, they would be charged with murder, right? Yeah. But this is, but if, but if you did know somebody who did walk into someone's house in the middle of the night and kill them in cold blood, mm-hmm. and they did get charged with wanton endangerment. Then that's what it would be. Just, gotcha. just so now you know. Just to clarify. J- yes. Just to, yeah, yes. just to clarify. Yeah. Now, now you know. Now Guys, understand. welcome to another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by my co-host and the number one producer in late night. It's Blake Osborne. How's Blake. it going, man? How's it doing going, good. buddy? How you doing? I So I'm I'm just going to ruin the surprise for okay. everybody. You ruin. bought a giant guinea pig and we're supposed to go pet it or something. <laughs> this is just ridiculous. A Patagonian cavi, also known as Amara. What? Yes. It's but, uh, world's largest, uh, world's second largest rodent, I think. As long as we're both on the same page that it's a rodent. It's a rodent. You know what's going to happen, by the way. I should have, I should have got the pictures and and had them. (laughs) I I predict that this time a week from today, Uh people will be asking what Amara tastes like. You don't need that. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying that's what's going to, I'm just letting you know to be prepared for your recipes (laughs) on cooking Patagonian Maras. They're from That's correct because 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 a couple weekends ago you drove round trip to Panama to pick up mm-hmm. some velociraptors and now this <laughs> weekend Rios, you yeah. drove round trip all the way down through the canal down to Peru mm-hmm. yeah. and picked up these maras yeah. and drove back Bolivia but yeah yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> um so there was a interesting passing away of one of the judicial temple monkeys yes, there this was. past week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny doing a weekly show like this because yeah. sometimes things happen kind of like right in the middle of your off period yes. when you're not doing a show. <laughs> and we don't like, we don't feel the need to run down here and do a show because Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Right. Because really when like 800 year old women die who had cancer, it's not like a big shock or anything. Right. Yeah. I tell you, it's it, what's kind of it's not what's well, not a shock. It's it's surprising, but not shocking. How okay. many people are just like pouring their hearts out? Yeah. And like uh, like their puppy died because this yeah. this yeah. monster died. Yeah. Speaking of her being a monster, okay. I want you to pull up this meme. What's going around? <laughs> and it was it was never just about equality and marriage certificates. She says, "My judicial view is to decriminalize adult child sex, to lower the age of consent to the age of twelve." And to federally defund 4-H clubs, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Big Brothers and Sisters, and the like, until they change their name by using only sex-neutral language. By the way, I'm for 
defunding things federally. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying that yeah. she was fine with them being funded. She just wanted them to have sex neutral yeah, names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always about this exact moment in time, 27 years later, her legacy 2020. And it has a little link yeah. right there to the Library of Congress, LOC.gov, yeah. and some statements by Ginsburg during when she was being nominated right. for her seat. Now, when I first saw that, I thought that's just right-wing clickbait trash mm-hmm. because she may be lots of things, a, a, a gnome chiefly, uh, chiefly among them, right. but she's not like a pedophile apologist or enabler. Okay. So I, I pulled up that link. I will be absolutely damned, Blake. Wow, it's there. It's, really it's totally there. there. So she served on the National Board of the ACLU when it adopted oh. positions opposing any restrictions on pornography, including child pornography. Wow. She opposes the criminalization of adult child sex. Um, yes, she is a, She is opposed to all those groups. She wants to lower the uh, age of consent to 12. She's also for the drafting of women and sending them into combat roles. Okay. She wants to legalize prostitution, which I'm fine with. Uh, but she wants to lower the age of sexual acts to 12 years. That's a... Ooh, 12-year-old prostitutes. That's what... What a happy America we live in. And and she's for single-sex prisons and replacing fraternities and sororities at colleges and universities with single-sex social societies, uh, along with bigamy and some other things. Nice. So so the, the point being is, is that sometimes you see these ridiculous memes and you're like, holy shit, it was right. <laughs> they actually were telling the truth on this one. Oh, so, gosh. As an aside, she did have a statement specifically sh- saying that she felt that it was the job of a Supreme Court justice to institute their social view via their judicial rulings, which, A, is 100% not the job of a Supreme Court justice. She said, I believe it is, and that's what I'm going to do, and then was affirmed. Like, anyway, yeah, I I know, I know, just, Mm. anyway... You know our friend Michael Bolden yeah. over at the 10th Amendment Center. Yeah. We, we, we run uh, mm-hmm. Path to yeah, Liberty yeah. commercial yeah. on the program. That's right. We'll see you later in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love Michael Bolden. Mm-hmm. And every now and then, one of the reasons I love him is every now and then he has to vent on some of the hate mail they get at <laughs> TAC. And if you're wondering, like, they're, they're such an awesome organization. How do they get hate mail? I'll tell you exactly how. If there is a Democrat in office, then all the Republicans are their best friends because when they make content talking about the unconstitutionality of what government's doing, all the right-wingers say, you're right, man. Tell that Obama. (laughs) But as soon as the Democrat leaves office and a right-winger gets elected, all that changes. They pull all their funding. Then he gets hate mail every single week saying, you know, you didn't say this about Obama. You're just, you're just anti-Trump, MAGA. And so it just, of course, we say all the time, people don't have any principles and that absolutely goes to show it. But there was, there was a particular message he got. He got one from a guy saying, boo, I, I disagree with everything you're saying. And I, and I told, and I told Michael, by the way, yeah. to find someone who literally disagrees with you on everything. That's actually kind of impressive. Wow. Like I think the sky is blue. And if yeah. you disagree then it's like, well, wow, we actually genuinely don't agree on anything. So he got this long diatribe. You can go ahead and pull it up. We're, I'm, I'm going to do, I told Bolden I would do this. I'm going to do a dramatic reading of this hate mail that he got from Amaga to him. So, so let's get ready. <clears throat> so kill that. I'm going to, I'm going to read this for, do we, do we have some, uh, 
Do we have some patriotic music for me to yeah, sure. read this yeah, to? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Pardon me, but to answer all of those who would ask, why are you voting for Trump? I'm not just voting for him. I'm voting for the abolition of child murder, the Bill of Rights, the First and the Second Amendment. I'm voting for the next two Supreme Court justices. I'm voting for the Electoral College and the Republic we live in. I'm voting for the police and law and order. I'm voting for the military and the veterans who fought for and died for this country. I'm voting for the flag that is always missing from democratic background. I'm voting for the right to speak my opinion and not be censored. I'm voting for secure borders. I'm voting for the right to praise my God without fear. I'm voting for every unborn soul the Democrats want to murder. I'm voting for freedom and the American dream. I'm voting for good and against evil. I'm not just voting for one person. I'm voting for the future of my country. What are you voting for? Reminder, the only thing necessary for evil, a.k.a. the Democrat Luciferian ascension to prevail, is for good people to do nothing. Trump must win the second American revolution, leading America's return to God. That was, that was very impassioned. This is, this is real, <laughs> by the way. Like, what I love most about this is that if we were making a joke about what these people actually think, uh -huh. we would write this, like, as, as, as a bit. Yeah. This is a real person's words. That's amazing. I'm not going to break it down because we don't have time for that, but just abolition of child murder despite wow. Planned Parenthood being fully funded. Yeah. Um, whew, yikes. Yeah. Anyway, Michael, you're welcome, buddy. We will be right back after this break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Hey, uh, hey Blake. Yeah. What time is it? It's time for of the week. Whoa. Come on, Pelosi. Damn, RBG. <laughs> should put another quarter in. Yeah. That's what you should few. do. <laughs> um, oh, my. <laughs> you know, we have an awesome show planned for today. Yeah. Uh, we actually have a guest. Oh, do we? We have who Tom Woods named along okay. with us yeah. as one of the top tier libertarian podcasters. That's right. It's Mark Clare from over yeah. at Lions of Liberty. Yeah. He's actually not going to be coming on to talk a lot of politics. He's actually okay. going to be coming on to talk comics because okay. he started the show with our former guest and friend, Rimzo Martinez. Well, oh. Rimzo's not a former friend. He's a former okay. guest. He's still yeah. a friend. Yeah. Me and Rimzo are fine. Yeah. So don't start any rumors. <laughs> but Mark Clare does a show with Rimzo called Second Print Comments where they talk about comic books. Okay. So, so we actually took, what's interesting thing is, is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and then the Louisville PD aren't going to charge anyone with murder for killing Breonna Taylor. But by God, we're taking a week off. <laughs> we're taking a week off from that BS and we're going to talk comic books. Sure. Why not? But next week. <laughs> yes. Next week. You, yeah. So uh, in the meantime, let's do some viewer mail. You got to get some new music for this thing. Ah, uh, yeah. So, it's, so it's intense. Still, 
ripping. That's exactly the kind of intense that yeah. we're avoiding this week <laughs> and that we'll do next week. It's gripping. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Avid writes, Dear Alan and Blake, if you raise chickens, are you a chicken tender? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm actually laughing at that. Why the heck am I laughing at that? That's Andrew, so terrible. Andrew, you got Blake to actually laugh, so there you go. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Celeste Annis writes, Dear Alan and Blake, what is your favorite kind of pierogi? So I've actually never had pierogi. Isn't that kind of like, they're kind of like dumplings? Sort I've never of. heard of pierogi. They're, they're, they're kind of like dumplings, I think. And, okay. and I don't really like dumplings, so. Is that like a wonton? This is, this is exactly the kind of thing, Celeste, that if, if y'all would just send this to the studio, <laughs> yes. then me and Blake, we, we, we would tell you yeah. what we think. We'll figure out. As long right as it isn't monkey there. brains, we're okay, I'm trying, you know? Blake, I'm trying really hard to get us free lunch, buddy. I know, man. Nobody's I'm, hooking us up. What's I'm, deal, I'm working yo? on it. I'm working on Jeez. it. Marilyn Willimowski of Liberty Late Night, uh-huh. Dave and Mary writes, Dear Alan and Blake, how do you like your steak done and do you use a condiment when eating it? So I'm an American, which means I like my steak rare. And if you use a condiment when eating it, you should go to euthanasia.com slash steak <laughs> to get the information you need to make the right choice. <sighs> for you. Don't look at me. I can't eat anything without ketchup. You're just... So Blake's a commie, which is a, unfortunately, he, he doesn't know how to eat steak. He doesn't watch the show. He hey, doesn't change the music on the intense viewer. Listen, mail. In my defense. All right. I, I didn't necessarily have like the best steaks in the world growing up. My mom was really good at it. She was okay. We did get some good steaks from, from some friends in the keys, but generally speaking, Miami just kind of let me down in the steak department. He owns giant gerbils from Bolivia. Mm-hmm. It's just the list goes on and yeah. on, folks. Um, Jonathan Carranza writes, Dear Alan and Blake, what is your favorite Johnny Cash song? Blake, what's your favorite Johnny Cash song? A Boy Named Sue. That Really? Yes. I was going to say A Boy Named, Boy Named Sue. Just, that song's cool, man. <laughs> so so we don't disagree on everything yes, the way true. people disagree with Michael Bolton. That's right. So there you go. Uh, David Willimowski of Liberty Late Night yep. writes, uh, Dear Alan Blake, what you benching? Blake, what are you benching? What kind of, what, what I'm benching? Yeah. I haven't benched anything in a long time, but I assume I could probably put up about 175. So I haven't done a bench press since I was in college. Yeah. Like, who does? Who, who? Yeah. I'm actually cutting right now, so I'm not, I'm not building, I'm cutting. Okay. Um, yeah. so... Maybe, maybe we should, maybe that'll be a thing that we'll do. One day yes. we'll have like a little, we'll have an it's too late yeah. games. We'll, where we'll, we, we'll set up and test our maxes. How about that? You know? Well, I've talked to Mike Meharry about this, that uh-huh. we, of course we do sports ball yes. and that, you know, there's the NFL combine where uh-huh. they do all the different tests and the sprints and the jumps yeah. and all. So, so we should run the combine. There you go. To, so people can see what our scores are compared to like, <laughs> you know, you know, It'd okay. be a sight, let me tell you. It's, it's going to be bad. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Johnson writes, Dear Alan and Blake, you can choose one of these cars, Kit, the General Lee, or Magnum's Ferrari. Which one are you going with? Kit, all day. All day. Dude, you can send that car to get me a burger, man. Come on. Okay, so I mean, if it's literally (laughs) Kit, as in the fantasy version of the car that's like AI, then Kit. Well, yeah. If you're just having the car, but in the real world, and it doesn't literally do its own thing, then probably the Ferrari. Okay, let me mix it up for you. Replace Kit with the A-Team van. Oh, well, in that case, the Ferrari. Ferrari. 
Yeah. Okay. I just, I just want to differentiate that in terms of vehicle, I'd want yeah. the Ferrari, right. but in terms of futuristic sci-fi cyborg car, yeah, is kit. Okay. Down, man. Uh, Suzanne Sherman writes, dear Alan and Blake, why does everybody ruin oatmeal cookies by putting raisins in them? It's probably the same reason they ruin cookies by putting oatmeal in them. I agree. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's disgusting. Who, oatmeal's gross. You heard Sorry. it here first. Mm-hmm. That's so, just my opinion. I was going to say the blandest cookie I'm willing to eat is a sugar cookie. Oh, and it's not really bland because it's sugar. Did you did you know that like in Arabic, sugar cookie is pronounced cooksucker? So it sounds like cocksucker. I'm just, that's just, that's some trivia that you now know that you, now you know. I am enlightened. Um, we've not been very good about our language on today's no, episode no, you, so you, far. You, you, What's wrong with you, Blake? I, I don't, it's not me. What's wrong with you? Not you. Speaking of our language, <laughs> Rachel Watson Kennerly writes, Dear Alan and Blake, are you a Dapper Dan man or will Fop do? I don't want Fop, goddammit. I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> you know, it's from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? What? Huh? You've never seen Oh Brother, Where I mean, Art Thou? It was like 20 years ago. All I remember was the song, bro. Was it 20 years ago? Yeah, something like that, man. It was a long time ago. I'm literally going to stop to look this up live on Wait, the Hold air. on. Is that like the goop they put in your hair? F- f- how, how do you pronounce that again? Fop, like F-O-P? God, I hope it's just, just something just, else. Just, just hold on a oh, second. Okay. What do you got? Um... Apparently, they're they're too stupid to just answer a question, so of I gotta course. go click on the Wikipedia link. So, so what's a dapper Dan? I'll be damned! It came out in two thousand. It was twenty years ago. Hey, look at that! I do know something. It's a long time ago. Making me feel old all of a sudden. <laughs> you know it's the Sunday, don't you? What? It's my birthday. Oh yeah, yeah. You get. So does that mean? So is this week the birth? That would be next week's episode is the birthday episode. Yeah, we're gonna have to do something fancy for you. Christ! (laughs) How old are you? He's not telling nobody. Well, I was twenty six, so I'll be twenty (laughs) seven. Yeah. yeah, okay. I don't know what you're laughing yeah, about. I don't know either. <laughs> uh, and finally, Ryan Seifert writes, uh, Dear Alan and Blake, if prunes are dried plums, where does prune juice come from? Now, see, this is the kind of questions we appreciate right yeah, here that, for viewer that, mail. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I, I like the image of the guy who he's like doing this with his tea, but then he's also yeah. holding the, he's actually got two hands, so he's holding the tea with his foot. <laughs> it's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Where so so let's 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 simplify this. Analyze Where does prune it. juice come from? It comes from someone's ass, probably, oh. if you've ever tasted it. Prune <laughs> juice is absolutely disgusting. My dad used to drink that as a laxative. Oh my god. <laughs> it's just nah. It's like raisin juice. So so if Ryan, if you want us to taste test some prune juice live no. on the show, you gotta send some prune juice out to the studio. We'll give you the address. Yeah. And we'll we'll do it. But we'll wait till the end of the show to try it just so that we can get through the show. We'll, I tell you what, we'll do the Dugarita in one segment and prune juice in the other. <laughs> That'll end better. Well, let's mix them. No. Let's mix them. No. You're the worst. Come on. <laughs> have, whatever. All right, so we'll be right back after this with Mark Claire of Lions Liberty. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. 
Email us at alan at funnybroke.com. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Our guest today is a top-tier libertarian podcaster and content creator who is probably best known for being the host of a little outfit called Lions of Liberty, which you can see at lionsliberty.com as well as your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, right there, it says subscribe on iTunes. And most most recently, a co-host of Second Print Comics that you can find at secondprintcomics.com, Mark Clare. Mark Clare, welcome to the show, buddy. Alan, how's it going, man? It's great to be here with a fellow top-tier podcaster, as, as the great Tom Woods somehow dubbed both of us. I, I was shocked to hear it myself. I was shocked to hear it. You know, when, when Tom actually said that, he was saying, well, of course, you know, there's, there's Dave Smith, and then there's Tom Woods, of course, and then, and then there's Mark Clare over at Lions of Liberty. And then I think he slurred Alan Mosley, but he could have been saying any number of other people. I, I Seriously, I had messages from people saying, did you hear that Tom Woods said you're a top-tier libertarian podcaster? And my answer was, well, it's a common name. I think it's a mistake. It's probably another Alan Mosley. Yeah, exactly. So right off the bat, I got to ask you, we were talking about this just a, just a minute ago, as a matter of fact. Second Print Comics, if you're anything like me, you just get kind of burnt out on politics you can, you can only cover the latest outrage so much before you feel like pulling your hair out. And then it's like, I got to figure out something else to do with all my time and all these pretty microphones and cameras. And then we get second print comics. There you go. That is pretty much the origin story. I mean, uh, for me, it happened during the pandemic. I spent about three months in Mexico and uh, I was really trying to focus on skills, focus on my podcasting, focus on really being productive in that time. Uh, but I realized I didn't want to put all my energy and effort just into this politics stuff, just into the philosophy stuff. I mean, it's obviously something I'm passionate about. I've been doing it for uh, almost uh, about seven years now. and uh, But at some point, I can only listen to myself talk about the same thing so much. And I really needed another outlet. And uh, you know, one thing I found is that I really wanted to go back. I've been a comic book fan for nearly 30 years now. I really want to go back and like read a bunch of old stories and revisit a bunch of old stories and also learn about new stuff. But in my mind, I was like, how can I justify reading reading a bunch of comic books in this time when I'm trying to start new projects, I'm trying to build skills. And then it dawned on me, oh, I'll just make that a new project. Uh, so I decided to uh, start a podcast. I hit up my friend Remzo Martinez, another libertarian podcaster, and I just laid it all out. I said, uh, hey, Remzo, question, would you be interested in starting a weekly podcast uh, where we basically trade producing duties and kind of guide our guide each other and guide the listeners on a journey through some of our favorite stories and characters of all time. Hmm? And he re immediately responded, "Yep, absolutely." So it was that simple. And uh, because we both had a little extra time uh, during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, uh, we were able to put all that extra effort into uh, launching a podcast. You know, getting the logos designed, uh, coming up with the format, the layout, uh, starting the website, all that little stuff that you kind of have to do at the beginning to really start a launch. And uh, it's been amazing. It's been awesome. It's been such so much fun to do. Uh, uh, because I'm, I'm reading stories I used to love. I'm learning about new stuff from him that I didn't really know about. Uh, and it's been an awesome journey. And we've had amazing feedback so far. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's been an amazing to have this other outlet. Like, I'm so enthusiastic about doing this show, uh, whether it's just reading to prepare for it, uh, recording it, editing it. Like, I'm really enjoying the entire process. And that obviously, at least I hope so, it comes across in the product. Well, I, I definitely think it does. I was actually just uh, just a little bit ago, I was listening. I think you just released a uh, the first episode on Maximum Carnage. Indeed, yes, yeah. that one just dropped. 
And, uh, and, and we were talking about a little bit ago as well is that, so I do a show called sports ball with Mike and Alan and my friend, Mike Meharry at the 10th amendment center. And of course we named it sports ball because we're making fun of the people, the neckbeards who say, Oh, you watch your sports ball game, your bread and circuses. So do, do you deal with some of that? The people who they, the, the kind of doom and gloomers who feel like you always have to be harping on into the world stuff and you, and there's just no time left to enjoy life. Well, sure, because to me that people like that are kind of saying, okay, there's all this terrible stuff going on in the world, all these bad things happening. And then on top of that, you should punish yourself by not allowing yourself any enjoyment in life whatsoever. To me, that just seems ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I'm totally cool with some people not being sports fans, some people not being comic book fans. Everybody's got their own thing. But we got to be able to have our own things. We got to be able to have our, our own outlets. We can't just stop enjoying any semblance of uh, you know joy we can get in life just because so many things are, are wrong in the world or because there's so many political problems. There's so much death and destruction. Uh, to me, I don't see any reason to also torture myself further by not allowing myself uh, enjoyment uh, in the free time that I do have. So I think that that argument is a little silly. Now, I, I understand kind of the viewpoint of some people are just so stuck to the TV and only care about that stuff that they, they don't, they're missing the real problems. I mean, I get that. But I also don't think attacking people's, you know, forms of joy is going to win them over either. It's just going to make people think, oh, this guy's just a curmudgeon, this this libertarian curmudgeon. Why should I even listen to these people? So uh, it really serves no functional purpose either because people are going to do what they want to do. People are going to enjoy what they enjoy, whether it's sports, comic books, pro wrestling or whatever. And uh, harassing them about it is not going to get them interested in your views or what you think are the problems in the world. All right, so we'll we'll save the politics for the next segment. We got we got we got to stick to comics for this one. So I would I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Obviously, you have the DC Cinematic Universe. You have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, how how has kind of this? I mean, it's really like a whole generation of comic book movies at this point. How has that affected the comic book world specifically? Well, it certainly brought more people into a lot of these characters. Uh, before the Marvel movies and, and the reason that they went with these kind of, I don't know, I, want, I don't want to say B-level characters, but not, not the ones that were already popular in the mainstream is because when they uh, went through bankruptcy in the late 90s, they had to sell the rights to some of their uh, major characters to other studios to kind of you know, keep themselves solvent. So they sold the rights to Spider-Man uh, and all the associated properties, Fantastic Four, X-Men. Um, so that stuff was all off the table in terms of what they could actually do under their own banner as far as the movies. So they were pretty much forced to take other characters that hadn't been as popular, like Iron Man, uh, like Captain America, and make great movies out of them. And uh, I, I think they, they kind of like touched on something with, with Robert Downey Jr. I think they kind of struck fire with that casting because it was such a tremendously uh, well-received casting and that allowed them to, I guess, have the, the confidence to put a bunch of money into more movies. And it's really a phenomenal thing that, that I think that, that Marvel specifically has done with their uh, kind of connected movie universe because right now they had like, I think, 23 movies total that have come out under this banner. And if you can watch some of those early movies and there are payoffs to little one-liners and, and that sort of thing that pay off in the last movie uh, in Avengers Endgame. So like for, for geeks and nerds that love little connections between things, it's really incredibly well done. And it has certainly brought attention uh, to comic books that, uh, that many people that might have just looked at comic books as just this geeky, nerdy thing. Um, maybe like a lot of these movies have brought more people into the idea uh, that you know comic books is something they can check out. And we're hoping to capture people like that with the Second Print Comics podcast. We, we've really done... 
done this in a way that uh, while we're looking at old stories and, and talking about things from our point of view as experienced fans, we're trying to do things in a way that make it accessible to new people who really don't know anything about these stories. And hopefully uh, through that, we can get them to actually head to a comic shop, support their local comic shop, uh, spend some money on some books and really get into the hobby themselves. Um, so, I mean, that, that's that's our focus on it. I, and I think like the, the success of a lot of these movies, specifically the Marvel movies, has brought more attention. There's also negativity that goes with it. I mean, in many ways, the now the comics they create are pretty much just like marketing tools uh, for for the movies. So it's almost like the comics sort of follow the movies now, which isn't really how it should be creatively uh, when you really think about it. And it's really led to the suffering of certain characters in the comic books. Uh, I mean, the, the last decade or so of the X-Men has just been abysmal. Uh, Marvel, uh, and that was almost purposely, Marvel uh, pretty much purposely destroyed the X-Men for about 10 years because they didn't have the rights to the X-Men. Uh, so they pretty much just like made the X-Men terrible. Uh, they, they, they killed most of the mutants. They, they turned most of the mutants into non-mutants. Uh, they killed a bunch of characters characters off. Uh, they basically destroyed the franchise and now are starting to build it back up. Although I could go on a whole rant about how confusing the way they're doing that is uh, through Jonathan Hickman's current run. Uh, but now that they have, they have reacquired through Disney the, the rights to those movies. They are going to probably uh, start putting out more like sort of a standard mainstream X-Men comics, uh, knock on wood. But right now they're not doing that. So I'm not really sure what their strategy is there, but uh, it certainly does affect the, the comic book product, at least as far as Marvel goes, is definitely affected by what goes on in the movies as, as opposed to the other way around which might not be ideal for a lot of comic book fans, but it kind of just is the way it is. So I'll ask you a couple of cinematic questions, and then I'll ask you a couple of comic-specific questions. So for the, for the cinematic, uh, give, give me one character, either Marvel or DC, that you feel like the cinematic universe has absolutely 100% nailed perfectly, and then give me one character or storyline that you feel like, wow, that was a complete disaster. Whew. Well, let's see. I, I got to say, I think that... They, they do a lot of characters really well. Um, but I, I mean, it's, I'm torn between Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Chris Evans' Captain America. They're both extremely well done, uh, extremely sort of like right on target with what the characters should be uh, between their dialogue, between the positions that they take, uh, pretty much everything. So um, I don't know if I have to choose one. Am I allowed to have a, a tie there? Uh, yeah, but I, you can have you can have a, more than one. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do a tie between them uh, for different reasons, but yeah, I mean, they're they're I mean, and and when I first saw Chris Evans, I was like, oh, this boring guy is Captain America, but Captain America is supposed to be kind of a boring guy on the surface. He's supposed to be kind of cheesy, and as you go through the movies and you see him take stronger and stronger stands against totalitarianism, uh, against you know the worst elements of government, uh, he becomes, and that really is what the character is uh, in the comic comic books. Uh, you know, many people that aren't fans think Captain America is just this cheesy character uh, who always quote unquote does the right thing, and he, and he does. But he does the right thing in a way that is is kind of badass. I mean, he always stands up to the government. He's always the one standing up for individual freedom and individual rights. And they do portray that very well uh, in general when it comes to um, you know when it comes to the movies. And then I think Tom Holland Spider Man is just it's just perfectly done. I mean, he captures the essence of the character in so many ways. Uh, you know, he he plays a teenager well. I'm sure he's in his his uh, his twenties at, at some point here in real life. But he does a good job playing a teenager, actually acting like a teenager. Whereas you know people like Tobey Maguire, I just feel like you're a 30 year old man trying to pretend like you're a teenager. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I think Tom Holland does just just does a great job, especially when you realize he's I think he's British or Australian. He doesn't yeah, he doesn't have an American accent. I know that. And uh, he does a great job pulling that off in the Spider-Man movies and really capturing the essence of what that character should be. Uh, sort of a teenager who has problems, but is not an angst ridden teenager. He's a kind of a happy go lucky teenager who's always cracking jokes. And uh, I think they both that Marvel's done a great job uh, with both their characters, with really with most of those characters. Um, as far as the flops go, and I'm focusing a lot on Marvel just because I think you know, they've, they've done so much better and been sure. so much more consistent with their films. Uh, let me think. Maybe I can 
Mm, who should I go after here? There's a couple options. I feel like it's too easy of a target to go after Captain Marvel, ah, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> Captain Marvel is just, she's too powerful, which she is very powerful in the comics, so I can't really say that part's inaccurate per se. But I, I just feel like the portrayal of the character in the films has just been so generic uh, and, and so shoehorned in. And I'm not one of these people that's, you know, I don't even care what Brie Larson says on the Internet. Uh, I, have, I, have, don't, I don't connect politics to my, my enjoyment of films at all. Uh, so I don't care about her politics at all. But it does feel like the character is just jammed in there in the movies. It just feels like, oh, oh, crap, we never made a really strong female character. Oh, OK, let's do Captain Marvel. Not only that, let's have her be the most powerful deus ex machina character that can just come and save the day at any moment and that is how they use her in, in avengers endgame as well uh and and they just they tie her into i mean there's one scene in avengers endgame and again i don't have a problem with female empowerment at all i'm all for it but i think when it's done in a way that that seems pandering like if, if i was a woman i think i would find it really annoying because there's one scene in, in endgame where there's a there, you know captain marvel i think she gets the gauntlet and then she has people defending her and all the people that come to defend her just happen to be all the women characters that just happen <laughs> to be in this one place together and they're like all right and this is our girl power moment and it just feels so forced it doesn't feel like yeah. a natural progression of the story i mean the best way to show strong female characters is just to write strong female characters in a natural way that you would normally write a story not to jam them in there not to you know kind of create these uh, you know sort of you know false moments of of you know feminism and, and female empowerment actually just show them being strong show them doing the right thing and if they're well done characters people will flock to it um so yeah i, I guess i guess i'll say captain marvel just as a flop because she just she doesn't do anything for me the way she's portrayed uh, in these movies so I'm, I, I really like a couple of things that you said right there. One, that you you can have a distaste for Brie Larson, the person and the political perspective. But that's not what's informing your opinion of Captain Marvel. You have sure. – Because I can say the same about Chris Evans yeah. and I love Captain America. So. Yeah, you have perfectly legitimate reasons to like or dislike the characters regardless of, of the actors that are playing them. But, but on top of that, you, you talk about – uh, so I remember that scene in Endgame where they say, you know, don't worry, she's got help, and it's in Scarlet right, right, Witch, yeah. and it, so all the different. They, they all happen to be right there. It's like, come on. Yeah, not, exactly. So, so I, I am in completely agreeing with you that the best way to to show the female empowerment angle is to just have all those characters dispersed amongst the male characters holding right. their own and doing right. a good job. And not having to have a pat on the back, I think that like that's... Shuri and uh, Shuri and Black Panther is a great example of a well done, you know, strong female character. Her her role in the story makes sense. She always kicks ass. Uh, she's like in many ways the most important character in, in that storyline because she's the one figuring out how to get that uh, get the mind gem out of Vision. So she's they show her both in her intelligence and they show her on the battlefield. And she's one of the most popular characters. I think she's probably more popular than Captain Marvel is because they actually just wrote her in a natural way and made her strong in a in a natural way as opposed to a shoe. Look at this. Look at this. Here's our strong female way. I'm going to I'm going to ask you a really quick question and then we're going to take a commercial break and come right back. So I think this is the question that people like to bandy around on the Internet all the time. And this is comic specific Marvel versus DC. It's tough for me because I started off as a Marvel fan and I've been mostly talking about Marvel today. Um, but you know, I, I got into fanhood with like Spider-Man and the X-Men and all that stuff. But, um, and I, we just did an episode on this that hasn't been released yet, but we did a whole episode on, on Batman Nightfall, the storyline that introduced Bane, uh, where Bane broke Batman's back. They've recreated that, uh, in the Christopher Nolan movies. And, uh, that really sucked me into DC comics and specifically into the Batman character. And he really is my favorite, at least as far as mainstream superheroes goes, uh, he is my favorite character. So I, as far as comics goes, if I, if you're going to force me to choose, I'm probably 
probably going to go with DC only because I'm such a huge Batman fan. And I also am a huge fan of like a lot of the flash stories. And I just think there's a lot of depth to DC comics, but uh, luckily we don't actually have to choose. I can actually just pick and choose uh, things from both, but I, I really also don't read hardly any Mar uh, modern Marvel comics. Uh, I like what's going on with Donnie Cates, Thor. Uh, they just had a great run on immortal Hulk, Hulk by Al Ewing, but I I'm really not following much of what's going on there. Whereas DC, even when I'm not buying a lot of books, I'm always just following it more. I'm just, I'm just more encapsulated by the characters over there. Um, so, I, I guess I would go DC if we're talking about comics. If we're talking movies, well, I like here and there some of the DC movies, and uh, especially some of the what they've done with some of the CW shows. Like I, I loved, you know, at least the first three or four seasons of the Fat Flash show. I was a huge fan of. But if we're talking movies. Marvel takes the cake. I mean, you just, you just cannot beat what they've done with it when it comes to their cinematic universe. 23 movies that all tie in together, that tell a cohesive story across 23 movies that even Captain Marvel, which is probably on my lower end of those movies, it's pretty good. It's a good, it's a decent movie. I can watch it. I, I can enjoy it. I mean, even the quote unquote worst movies in that franchise are still pretty good movies. So, I mean, if we're talking comics, I'm going to give it to DC, but if we're talking movies, Marvel, no question. All right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break for a commercial. And when we come back, we're going to talk more with Mark Clare of Second Print Comics. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined today by Mark Clare of Lions of Liberty slash Second Print Comics. We're talking comic books today, DC, Marvel, you name it. Mark, so building on the comic book talk from the last segment, what are a couple of characters that you are sad that they have not made their way to the big screen or, or the small screen? And what are a, a couple of characters that you're excited that are coming into the next generation? Well, let's see. I I guess one that I'm, I shouldn't be that sad about because he has been on the big screen, but he hasn't been on the big screen in what I might call the right way, uh, is the Hulk. One of my favorite characters of all time. There have mm -hmm. been several Hulk movies, uh, most recently the one by Universal that does actually tie into the Marvel Universe. Uh, it's kind of complicated, the situation with Hulk, because Marvel is allowed to use the Hulk character in their movies, but they're not allowed to make individual Hulk movies themselves, mm -hmm. which is why we haven't seen a, a Hulk movie done right, kind of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe way. But I would love to see a real Hulk movie that is done, uh, you know, that like we, we could get a whole movie out of, you know, in the last uh, in Avengers uh, Endgame, Bruce Banner just kind of has one line about how he kind of made himself the, the smart Hulk. But how he becomes that smart Hulk in the comics is one of my favorite storylines of all time. Uh, it's written by Peter David, and he really explored the psychology of the Hulk. He showed different versions of the Hulk that kind of all live with inside Bruce Banner. And it really was an amazing story that, that brought out the, uh, the, sort, the, the sort of smart Hulk that, that combines the intellect and the personality of Banner with the strength of the Hulk. And I feel like we can get a whole movie out of that story. And they could easily do it if they could somehow work out the right situation 
because they have you know, Marvel loves to go back and fill in a gap. I mean, you know, Captain Marvel takes place in 1985. They can easily sure. do a movie that took place between those two films to show us how that happened. So I would love to see a Hulk movie really done the right way, actually done by by Kevin Feige and, and by the whole Marvel crew, because I mean, they, they've done pretty well with the character, I think, within how he's been portrayed in those movies, even though it's been a little inconsistent. We've kind of seen a different Hulk in every movie. Uh, we, we've seen Savage Hulk. We've seen kind of Savage, kind of not Hulk and Thor Ragnarok. And we've seen fully intelligent Hulk in this movie. But uh, overall, I've, en- I've enjoyed well enough, I guess I, guess I could say, his portrayal um, you know, in the movies. But I, I, really, I would really love him to get, for Mark Ruffalo, to get a, a full, you know, full done justice uh, the right way Hulk movie. Um, what was the second part of that question? What am I looking forward to? So, yeah, like to is, is there a character or two that you've heard in sources and rumors that might be coming in the next generation of Marvel or DC that you're really excited to see? Yeah, one thing I'm looking forward to, which has been, uh, it hasn't, I don't think it's been officially announced, but it's been pretty much confirmed that it's in the works, is a series called Thunderbolt that will probably end up on a DCU. This is sort of a lesser known team, uh, but essentially, and I'm honestly not sure which came first, uh, but they are essentially the suicide squad of the Marvel Universe, minus the suicide thing. Uh, it's basically um, a group of villains that were recruited to sort of be a super team. And in the comics, they've been both, both kind of good, you know, bad acting is good, and sometimes they've actually kind of been on the side of good so uh they're kind of shades of gray team but supposedly that that um that series is in the works at disney plus and they're going to be laying a lot of groundwork with that um in some of these other series that are coming out like uh you know um, captain america and the winter soldier uh which i'm really looking forward to or falcon and the winter soldier i should say it's called uh, and that should that's supposed to incorporate baron zemo who in the comics is uh, you know part of the thunderbolts and i'm really looking forward to how they might interweave various villains that we've seen in some of these other movies into this sort of superhero slash anti-hero slash not really hero team so it's I, i'm really into the obscure stuff and, and into seeing how the public will react to to these characters that are not really normally seen it's not really the spider-mans the x-men etc of the world so i'm looking forward to thunderbolts if that if that indeed does become a thing uh, but it, it does appear that they're they're laying, laying the groundwork for it of course, who knows when production on this all stuff is actually going to pick oh, up yeah. because everything is being pushed back. I mean, Black Widow, all of the Disney Plus series, they're all been pushed back. And now it's unclear when when new stuff will even be shot. So, uh, you know, it might, might be a long wait at this point. But uh, that's what I'm probably most looking forward to from the Marvel side. Of course, over on the DC side, I mean, I'm really looking forward to this Robert Pattinson Batman movie. The trailer looks amazing. Uh, I'm not one of these people that freaks out when someone weird is announced as Batman because I've been pleasantly surprised every time. Uh, I even like Ben Affleck's Batman uh, for what it is, for what it's meant to be. Uh, and of course, we went through this with Michael Keaton like 40, like 30 something years ago. People were running outraged. How's Michael Keaton going to be Bruce Wayne and Batman? And he was awesome. So I, I have pretty much, I, I have faith in Robert Pattinson. He seems to be a really good actor uh, from things I've seen him in, in besides Twilight. And, um, you know, so I, I'm looking forward to that as well. And from the trailer, it just looks like it has the potential to be spectacular. Well, I'm I'm willing to give Robert Pattinson a chance because I'm I'm old enough to remember when The Dark Knight was in development and they had first announced that this pretty boy that was in some movie about being a knight jousting named Heath Ledger was going to be the right. Joker and everybody was panning it. Everybody was saying, "Oh, great, it's going to be a Hollywood Batman where he's, you know, he's grinning and and winking at the camera and all the girls are going to swoon." And of course, he did a fantastic job as the Joker. Yep. So I, I'm willing to give Robert Pattinson a chance. But let me ask you, you, you had touched on something a little bit earlier because we'll, we'll, we'll tie some of our politics here in, into this, this final segment along with the comics. You know, you had talked about Captain America, which, which by the way, I'd already told Rimzo 
you're more than welcome to come on the show, but it better be to just worship my boy, Captain America, because he's always <laughs> been my favorite. But specifically, they, I, I loved Civil War. I loved Winter Soldier. And specifically in Winter Soldier, but in both of those movies, you know, they, they portray some themes and some political issues that libertarians like us can, can really say, oh, wow, I, they, they really portrayed that in a favorable light, a way that we would portray it. Um, were you kind of surprised by that? Like, I remember walking into the theater, watching those movies and walking out thinking, wow, it's not often you see something in the mainstream portrayed in a sort of limited government individual liberty spectrum. Yeah. And, and that is one of my, I mean, I've never done a really full ranking of them, but to me, it's, it's it for a long time. It was my number one Marvel movie. Uh, since then, a few others are, are probably in competition for that. Uh, both the last Avengers movies, um, Black Panther. Um, but I definitely have it in my top tier. It, it, it may still even be number one. I'd have to really sit down and break it all down. But I mean, that movie captured me so much um, just because of the portrayal of Captain America and uh, the portrayal of, you know, really government as being bad until, uh, until that point, we had only really seen, uh, sort of the lighter side of, of of government when it came to S.H.I.E.L.D. And they're basically always portrayed as the good guys. But for the first time, you start seeing, well, there's something bad going on in the background here. Uh, they're creating this giant uh, you know, giant machine to, uh, to to pinpoint possible you know, possible terrorists and kill them all with drones without a trial. And Captain America's like, no, what, whoa, no, we can't do this. We can't go. We can't go becoming the monsters that that we're afraid of. And, uh, you know, that, that's basically the theme of that movie is Captain America standing up uh, to a government that is corrupt that's so corrupt that we find out that well i don't want to spoil the movie for anyone that hasn't seen it but let's just say the the people that are running that are running the show are not who they appear to be so I, I'll, I'll try to keep it spoiler free because it is a great movie and i do want do want people to be surprised by by the twists and turns if they haven't seen it <laughs> well that's that's good so so going back to a more specific comic book angle so i i i don't want to be the guy that invites someone who really loves comics onto the show and say let's talk about the movies because they are separate works of art. Are, are there some other instances specifically in the comic book world where uh, may, maybe you read it for the first time at a younger age and it, and it resonated with you, with you as, a, as a work of art, but then maybe you go back and reread it in, at a later age as, an, or as, as, as a little bit older adult and you think, wow, there's some, there's some concepts and themes in here that I think are really valuable to the mainstream consciousness and what a way to capture that in what some naysayers would be. It's kind of like a lot of people don't see any value in an animated series because, oh, it's just a cartoon, even though an animated series can have lots of amazing themes and concepts in it. I think a lot of people look at comics as, oh, that's just what kids read. But then you have comics that tackle some really major issues in an impressive way. Yeah, I mean, uh, one that stands out, it, this isn't one that I read as a kid. I was actually, this actually came out during my sort of a comic book fan dark period. There's probably, uh, probably like eight to 10 years where I just, after college, that I just kind of stopped reading them. I just kind of stopped buying them and, and it was kind of all the way out. And then I've been catching up on a lot of stuff since then. And th- of course, that's part of what this podcast helps with. And uh, this is actually the second episode of the Second Print Comics podcast where we looked at, um, a book called Secret War. Now, this is not to be confused with Secret Wars, which is a whole big, you know, multiple different events. There was one in the 80s uh, and one a few years ago. This is something totally different. This is just Secret War without an S. And uh, basically, this is a story where where Nick Fury, we find out that uh, Nick Fury had basically recruited a team of, of sort of street-level heroes, like ones that aren't super-powered, like Daredevil, Spider-Man, um, you know, Wolverine, and set them on a secret mission to essentially... Uh, 
Uh, there's no other way to put it, to be terrorists. They essentially went to, with, without any permission from the government, without even any permission from S.H.I.E.L.D., it was just Nick Fury doing his own thing. They went to Latveria. They didn't even understand the full mission, uh, but they got into Latveria, and they were they were essentially going to try to um, murder the president of Latveria, who had, who's usually Dr. Doom, but it was not Dr. Doom at this time, uh, and um, because it was essentially a preemptive strike, because they they saw this, uh, they saw uh, Latveria powering up a lot of supervillains, and they said, well, we have to go take them out before they before they take us out. Sound familiar? And, uh, you know, this is this actually came out not long after 9-11. I think this is maybe a maybe two or three years. I think it was 2004, so about three years after 9-11. And uh, at one point, Nick Fury says, like, we just can't let it happen again. And it's very obvious what he's referencing, that he's directly referencing 9-11 there. Uh, but I mean, what you see happen is that the heroes go there, and, and Nick Fury kind of had a, a, wep- a secret weapon in his pocket. Uh, man, I can't remember this this person's name. It's it's not Tremor, but it's something like this. Basically, she causes, she causes earthquakes. And uh, she basically commits an act of terrorism in this country with all these heroes there. And they're, they're like, oh my god, we didn't know, know it was going to be like this. Uh, but, you know, it's it's made clear that a bunch of civilians die and Nick Fury feels justified in doing it. Uh, and he actually brainwashes the rest of the heroes so they don't remember this. And that, that's why you don't hear anything about it. Um, and then this comes back out when they sort of their memories start to come back for various reasons uh, about the events that happened. Uh, so then they're really pissed about it when they realize that they were they basically participated in an act of terrorism. Uh, it's a very real story. It really shocked me reading this because I was like, wow, this is this is really real. I mean, this is really talking about what goes on in the real world. Uh, so much so that um, in the pit trade paperback uh the forward is there's a page long forward by someone named anonymous and this is supposedly a cia agent who is friends with brian michael bendis the writer of the story and supposedly like you know years before when they were friends brian michael bendis used to go and chat these guys up and and learn and like listen to a lot of these stories and anonymous in the beginning says everything you're about to read really happened except that it, without superheroes like he's basically saying this wow. is this is a real story essentially that i conveyed uh to brian michael bendis and who knows maybe it's a marketing ploy to make me think it's more real than it is but it really struck me as like wow this is take away superpowers and he's pretty much saying this is pretty much what we did uh what we did in special ops so i mean that it really hit home for me uh between the, the story itself and reading that forward uh so i, I highly recommend hey, of course I, I recommend subscribing to and listening to the second print comics podcast but specifically if you're into this pop politics pop culture realm like you probably are if you if you watch the show uh highly recommend checking out that story and checking out uh episode two of our podcast to, to hear more about that wow i that that is quite a forward you gotta go read it you're, <laughs> you're gonna quite... you're gonna be floored and it's, a, it's an amazing story with amazing artwork i mean i think you're really gonna enjoy it so since we're we're getting short on time here so really quick mark where can people listen like subscribe support you support lines of liberty everything in between hit them with all the links there's so much, but let's start with uh, Second Print po- Comics Podcast. Of course, you can find it everywhere you find podcasts. You guys know how this works. Uh, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, all that great stuff. Just search Second Print Comics Podcast. Uh, Lions of Liberty, same thing. You can find it everywhere. Uh, secondprintcomics.com is our website. Um, Twitter, at Second Print Pod. That's pretty much what we are on social media everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, it's always at Second Print Pod, the word second fully spelled out. Uh, and then as far as Lions of Liberty, we're on Twitter, at Lions of Liberty, Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty, uh, LionsLiberty.com. You know, we're pretty easy to find. I think your your, uh, your viewers are pretty savvy on the internet, I'm, I'm guessing. So I think they can find everything else we're doing. And of course, if you really, really want to support us, 
with money I'm talking about. Uh, Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty if you're interested in the libertarian political angle of things. Uh, and then, of course, Patreon.com slash Second Print Pod is our Patreon uh, for our Second Print Comics podcast. And we're doing a ton of stuff for our patrons, really on both shows. Uh, but on Second Print Comics, I mean, at the $25 a month level, we send you a hardcover graphic novel every three months. Uh, so you're, you're already getting a lot of a lot of your value back just by that. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery choice. It's something me and Renzo decide between ourselves what we're going to send you. So it's a, it's a nice surprise in the mail every few months and you get to support us and help us grow and expand the show along the way. But we have we have levels for everybody starting at $5 a month, uh, getting access to all of our bonus content. Same thing over our Lions Liberty. We have a whole bunch of different tiers, uh, but $5 a month gets you in and gets you access to the, the whole loads of bonus content that we do. Because we really, uh, my, my philosophy on both my Patreons is like, I want to deliver value. I don't, I don't just want to ask for money. Uh, I want to say, give us money and we're going to give you a ton of extra value. So we have a ton of perks for our patrons uh, you know, on, on both of those. So patreon.com slash Lions Liberty, patreon.com slash Second Print Pod. Well, there you go. That's all the links. Uh, Mark, don't go just yet. We're going to get you out of here on this one. So longtime viewers of this program know we used to ask everybody is a hot dog a sandwich, but we don't ask people that anymore because everyone knows, of course, a hot dog is a sandwich. We even asked Ron Paul that, although he didn't get it right. But we've, we've evolved it since then. We ask people more nuanced questions. So Mark, we're going to get you out of here on this one. If you have two lasagnas and you stack one lasagna on top of the other lasagna, is it still two lasagnas or just a lasagna? I, I, you actually broke up there a little, Alan. I missed the beginning of that. I, I, I came in and, and stacked another lasagna on top. So is it just, are we just talking about two lasagnas? So if you, yeah. So if you have two lasagnas and you stack one on top of the other, is it still two lasagnas or just a lasagna? Huh. Well, are you are you stacking them on top of each other after they've been baked or in the baking process? Because to me, that's that's the deal breaker. If you're baking it all together, I don't think there's any rules about how many layers of lasagna you can have. I think it's traditionally like three layers, mm-hmm. but I don't see any, uh, you know, any, any, any uh, sort of a totalitarian, totalitarian decree about that. So I would say if you're if you're stacking two lasagnas, sticking them in the oven, that's that's lasagna. But if you cook two lasagnas separately and then put them together on your plate, well, now you're just putting two lasagnas on top of each other. I got to tell you, you're the first person <laughs> to say that it depends on the before after of the cooking process. No one can get me on these trick questions because instead of answering directly, <laughs> I just come back with another question. So that's how I that's how I win those every time. Well, when Ron, when we when Ron Paul was on the show, we asked him if a hot dog is a sandwich, and his answer was, "That sounds like the type of question that you would need an exploratory committee to look into." And <laughs> I rebuked answer. him. I said, it, "Leave it up to a freaking politician to come on the damn show and give such a political answer." And that's a good response. Mark Claire, thanks so much, buddy. This was fun. Thanks, Alan. It's been a blast. It's it's, it's so refreshing to talk to other top tier libertarian yes, podcasters. Yes, and the, the top tier, you know, top tier podcasters like us have to stick together. We can't let these these little second tier B level podcasters get in the mix. It's just not going to work. They're they're below us. Let's be honest. <laughs> I joke, of course. I he he's not joking. Oh, he jokes, everybody. Guys, thank you so much. We will be right back after this break. Don't go away.
Like our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com at TV. Our whole library is on YouTube. Subscribe at youtube.com slash TV. So, so, just so you remember, so yep. three counts of wanton endangerment is wanton what you can expect if you walk into someone's apartment and blow them away in the middle of the night. But, and that's only, that's only if some of the bullets go into other people's apartments. Right, because God forbid you wouldn't want to do that now, would you? Because the person you actually blew away, they're not even in the indictment. Unpersoned. Nope. You know, I was talking to our friend Mike Meharry about uh-huh. this, and his answer was, Louisville was a nice town. <laughs> that remains to be seen. <laughs> I feel bad for the private folks who are about yeah. to lose a lot of property to fire. Yeah, it's going to suck. Um, we record, so so. unfortunately, sorry to like ruin the, uh, the illusion, but we record yeah. these in the middle of the day, so yeah. we're recording as that announcement was coming out. Right. So I may or may not have already done a stream, yeah. or getting ready to do a do stream, a stream. Yeah. about that in particular. Oh yeah. But we were trying to take a week off yeah. from this bullshit. Good night. Why don't we just put you on a bus and send you up there and do a live stream from the action? You know, no, because... Man on the street kind of thing. I don't want to die. No, I know. So that's just... Yeah. Anyway. Guys, thank you so much, and we will see you next week. So guys, thank you for listening to another episode of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. We're gonna we're gonna kind of do a little casual uh, after show talk here. Um, so I'm, thank you so much to Mark Claire for being on the show. I really appreciated him uh, sitting down and taking the time to talk with us. We had actually planned like a week or two in advance to do a no politics show. We were gonna talk about comics. We were gonna talk. We were gonna have a good time. We were gonna take a week off from politics. And Suzanne, you and I and, and Mike Meharry had actually talked about maybe next week we would talk about the SCOTUS opening and, and all that stuff. And so, but this week, no politics. And then literally this afternoon, and I hate to ruin it for everybody, but you know we do record the show and then premiere it live. And when we were recording, they, they were like an hour out from the announcements about the indictments. Uh, for uh, the officer involved with the Breonna Taylor uh, murder. And so we didn't talk about that on the show, not really in earnest. But I figured, yeah, I don't I don't want it to be like an, a week late to get around to it. So I invited Suzanne Sherman. It's it's our resident law expert of It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Suzanne Sherman of Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report. Suzanne, bless your heart Alan. for taking on this challenge. <laughs> You know, this is really sad. We, we had talked about this uh, when, when this unfortunate incident first happened back in March. We said, imagine what's going to happen now if one of these cops doesn't go to jail, one or more. Mm-hmm. And I think 
pretty much the worst outcome we could imagine for purposes of civil unrest has happened. And right when we were talking before we went on the air, I was just looking at some of the news reports. And so far, three police officers have been shot already. And as you mentioned to me, uh, when we were talking this afternoon, get your atlas out and wipe Louisville off the map. Yeah, you don't need to have that on there. Um, our friend Mike Meharry, when I had asked him what was going on up there, all he said was Louisville was a nice town was being the key word so yeah i i i don't want to i don't want to spend our little after show here speculating too much on on what's going on right this second on the streets because you know how that is we could it's a lot of conjecture but i have heard multiple accounts of multiple officers having already been shot not not had bags thrown at them been shot um and we're gonna get we're gonna get into that a little bit about how I think a lot of this was quite predictable, so so maybe we'll start off at the top, Suzanne. Um, um, we'll 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 do a recap of what actually happened the night of March thirteenth um, in Louisville, Kentucky, as it pertains to Brianna Taylor and the Louisville PD. But let's let's kind of start off with today of uh, Louisville's boarding up the windows, the courthouse is on lockdown. They're instituting a curfew. They're calling in the guard. Everyone hears the announcement about the grand jury indictment is going to be today. Right before before we even say another word, is the is how the city of Louisville reacted not a giant red flag that they're getting ready to give the people some bad news? Oh, absolutely. And you know, I'm a uh, I love to talk about preparedness and survival. And one of the number one rules of survival is get out of the way. If I had a home in the city limits there, I would board it up, get my belongings, would have already been out, and I would be nowhere near that area. It's a really sad situation, but you got to get out of there. So so the charges that come in, so there's there was three officers that were involved in the, in the killing of Breonna Taylor at her apartment on March 13th. Um, the the two, off, two officers, Sergeant John Mattingly and Detective Miles Cosgrove, were not charged. That doesn't mean not charged in Breonna Taylor's murder specifically. They were charged with nothing at all, no charges. One of the three, and, and by the way, those two officers were still on the force. The third officer, Detective Brett Han- Hankinson, Hankinson or Hankinson, we'll say we'll say Hankinson. Um, he had been uh, fired from the force uh, due to negligence, but he he was charged, but he wasn't charged with murder one. Was charged with murder too, and I know you and I have discussed the importance of the murder charge as it pertains to other people, such as the George Floyd killing. But there was no there was no debate between you and me over uh, uh, murder one or murder two because his charge was wanton endangerment. So for people at home, wanton endangerment means you were just a little bit too zealous in the line of duty. It holds up to five years in prison and a ten thousand dollar fine. Suzanne, was this the right charge, and are people going to be content with that or not? Oh, it was such a crazy day. <laughs> you know, things just... <laughs> I don't mean to be excited, but, but Jesus. You know, here here we're talking about wanton recklessness, and what happened was, I guess, he fired 10 shots, mm-hmm. and I think into the neighbor's apartment, and missed somebody. They almost, He almost shot somebody in the head, mm-hmm. and... The number, you know, when when you're trained in firearms, I used to be an NRA certified firearms instructor. The number one rule is know your target and what's beyond. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that did not happen here. He, um, I think, he was t- firing the shots from outside, if I remember correctly, 
And uh, to fire 10 shots when you don't even have a target that's been acquired is absolutely reckless. But where it gets kind of nitty gritty here is none of his shots hurt anybody, nor did he fire the fatal shot that killed Breonna Taylor. Hmm. The officer, that was, um, what was his name? Oh, Detective Miles yes. Cosgrove. He filed the he fired the fatal shot. Mm. However, that shot, and we'll get into this in a little bit, was completely justified. So he killed her, but it was ruled a justified shooting. Now, just just to be clear, I don't think you're saying it was completely justified. The state of Kentucky says it's completely justified. Which correct? Are, My opinion doesn't yeah. matter. The state of Kentucky yeah. matters here, and what they what they decided uh, was. Mm-hmm. Because the officers were fired at by, and we'll get into this as well, Kenneth Walker, her boyfriend, they were in bed sleeping at the time, mm-hmm. um, because they were fired upon from within the decedent's home yes. in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. The shooting was justified nonetheless. And as I was reading to you just before we went on the air, somebody said to me, Suzanne, he doesn't deserve to win a a civil lawsuit. He deserves to go to prison for the rest of his life because he shot at a cop. We're going to get into that. Did he do the right thing? Was there a better way to handle it? Was there a better way to address a narcotics um, arrest? Because when when you were on my show yesterday, we were talking about Justice Ginsburg Mm -hmm. and how she actually got some stuff right on the Fourth Amendment. And one of the cases that she referred to here was out of Kentucky as well. And here, what she said in her dissent, in her dissenting opinion, was in no quarter does the Fourth Amendment apply with greater force than in our homes, our most private space, which for centuries has been regarded as entitled to special protection. When I first started hearing about this concept when I was a kid, I was told, yeah, back before we declared independence from from England, the 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 crown, their their men could go in and knock down doors and in the middle of the night and drag you out and kill you. Well, what's changed? <laughs> you know, now all of a sudden we're okay with it. Yeah, they, so they weren't able, they weren't allowed to do that for about six months, and then they went back to doing it. Yeah. Uh, right. So I'm I'm gonna read like a quick little a quick little summary summary here that that talks about the the actual events of March 13th. And then, and then a little bit of, of some of the kind of summary information around it. So Breonna Taylor, 26-year-old African-American woman, fatally shot by Louisville Metro Police Department. Officers Jonathan Mattingly, Brett Hankinson, and Miles Cosgrove. That's March 13th of this year. So, so that, that was three plainclothes officers. Now, now, allegedly, they were wearing vests that said police, but, they, but there's a couple things to remember. One, they were in unmarked cars. Two, they were wearing plain clothes. Three, Guess what they weren't wearing, Suzanne? They weren't wearing body cameras. Imagine that. But we'll continue. They entered her apartment in Louisville, Kentucky, executing a no-knock search warrant. According to the New York Times, while the department had gotten court approval for a no-knock entry, the orders were changed before the raid to knock and announce, meaning that the police had to identify themselves. According to the police account, and it's so important to talk about who says what, Because there's so many memes out there by the thin blue liners of, well, I heard one person said one time that the cops said this, therefore, that is what happened. But you know what? There's people that don't agree with that. So according to the police account and and one witness at the scene, the officers knocked and announced their identity before forcing entry. But the police and the witness differ as to how they announced themselves. 
Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, and 11 other witnesses deny that the officers announced themselves at all. Walker and the officers exchanged gunfire. Walker had said that he believed the officers were intruders. The officers fired over 20 shots. Taylor, uh, Taylor was shot five times, according to her death certificate. The LMPD Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly was injured by gunfire. Another officer and an LMPD lieutenant were on the scene when the warrant was executed. Now, there's uh, just at this point in the story, there's a couple of things to, to, really, uh, to, to really put the emphasis on. So, uh, multiple eyewitnesses report seeing unmarked cars pull up with three, three plainclothes men walking up to the apartment. There's no way for these people to know these are police officers at this point. They're not wearing body cameras. The police claim that they knocked and announced themselves three times and then kicked in the door with a battering ram. Now, Kenneth Walker, Brianna Taylor's girlfriend, claims that he and Brianna had rushed to the hallway because they, they heard the banging at the door and had heard no announcement of who it was. So they assumed it was an intruder and Kenneth Walker went to go grab his gun to fire at the intruders breaking through the door. Now, it is true that there is one witness that said that they thought they heard the police announce, but only announced as they were kicking in the door. Eleven other witnesses, not counting Walker, said that they made no announcement. But here's, here's the last little kibosh on that. The official police report was that they had knocked and announced themselves three times. So, e so every single eyewitness account, the 11 who said no announcements and Walker, and even the one witness that said they did announce, none of those accounts line up with the official police report. How much does that matter, Suzanne? I think it matters quite a bit. Let's, let's uh, take the scenario from maybe the worst case scene from Kenneth Walker. Okay. Let's say they did announce and he simply didn't hear mm -hmm. it. I think this illustrates an inherent problem in these late night knock raids because it's entirely feasible that perhaps they did knock from Kenneth Walker's standpoint and he did not hear it. So in, from that perspective, they were correct, but that still doesn't address the issue of the other witnesses, including the ones that are suing the city because their home was shot up. But that was only, I think, three. So we still have eight that are not involved, have no dog in this game that said, no, there was no announcement. And you also have to understand, well, let's see, it was her, her time of death was listed at 1248. Let's assume it was relatively quiet in the neighborhood at that time. Let's assume also it's not unreasonable to think that there's probably some people that are still awake at that hour, hmm. and they likely would have heard had there been knocking and you know be right before the door was kicked down because we know they don't just quietly say hello so can we come in <laughs> they bang on that door and they yell it's the police i can't imagine nobody would have heard that if they had done so yes exactly right so so there's a couple of other little uh a little pieces of information that i want to go over before we get back to some of your notes and some of the memes that are floating around so the primary targets of the investigation. So what were they doing? Why, why did this happen? Primary targets of the investigation were Jamarcus Glover and Adrian Walker, who were suspected of selling controlled substances from a drug house more than 10 miles away. Now, it's very important to point out Jamarcus Glover was Breonna Taylor's ex-boyfriend. But when we say ex-boyfriend, we don't mean last week. We mean to over two years ago. The second thing, a lot of people have seized on Adrian Walker being a part of the document saying he's a part of this drug conspiracy. 
Adrian Walker happens to have the last name of Kenneth Walker, her current boyfriend who was involved in the shooting. They are not related. So, so, and what we've what we've seen the meme geniuses yes. using is that argument that you know Walker the first name doesn't matter he was a black dude named Walker that's close yes, enough. Yes, exactly. So these people are totally unrelated. So let's just get that out there right now. According to the Taylor family attorney, Glover had dated, dated uh, Taylor two years before and continued to have a passive friendship. The search warrant did include Taylor's residence because it was suspected that Glover received packages containing drugs at Taylor's apartment and because a car registered to Taylor had been seen parked in front of Glover's house. Again, it's it's not exactly weird to have seen Taylor's car parked in front of Glover's house because they had been dating two years prior. Specifically, the warrant alleges that in January 2020, Glover left Taylor's apartment with an unknown package, presumed to be drugs. By the way, how, do, how does that go in court, Suzanne? I just presume your package has drugs in it. Well, the wording of the Fourth Amendment does require that you have to have a little bit more of an indica, indicia of reliability and some, you know, particularity with what you're looking for. But just to say, well, we think there might be drugs. Yes. So we're going to get a warrant and for a judge to sign off on that so, is, is a ludicrous. Assumption. So I'm, I'm going to hit you with some hot government on government action. Are you ready for this? The warrant states that this event was verified, quote, through a U.S. postal inspector. In May 2020, the U.S. Postal Inspector in Louisville publicly announced that the collaboration with law enforcement had never actually occurred. Suzanne, how can they possibly say in their in their documents when they went to get this warrant that they had cooperated with U.S. Postal Inspector and said that there was some sort of trafficking going on, then for the U.S. Postal Service and Inspector to come out and say, uh, they're lying, that never happened, we didn't, co- we didn't collaborate with Louisville PD. That seems like a giant red flag to me. You know, if, if you or I filed a false police report, I don't think we'd get away with it. <laughs> no, I don't think we would. It's, there, there's, there's a lot of parts of this whole story where I just can't help but think that if we were already at trial and this was our defense, they're hanging us, right? Like, it's over. <laughs> it's over for us. Right. And, and, you know, the thing is, too, assuming that nobody had been killed and some drugs had been found— mm-hmm. There's so much stuff to go by here and have the motion, you know, have the evidence suppressed uh, just based on that alone, you know. (laughs) So here's the last little bit. The post office stated that they were actually asked to monitor packages going to Taylor's apartment from a different agency. But and you know what they did? And then they concluded no packages of interest going there. So this public revelation put the investigation and especially the warrant into question and has resulted in an internal investigation. Side note, no drugs or any drug paraphernalia was found in Taylor's apartment after the warrant was executed. So there's a, there's a couple of other uh, inconvenient truths that we want to get in here before we, before we move on. So Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker was her boyfriend at the time. Unconven- inconvenient for the Louisville PD, Kenneth Walker survived his engagement with the police, so he's still around to tell his story. He's the one that, believing that intruders were breaking in, ran to grab his gun. He fired a shot at the doorway. It did hit one of the officers in the leg, which resulted in the officers returning fire that ultimately killed Breonna Taylor. Kenneth Walker was a licensed gun owner, Suzanne. This wasn't some random gangbanger with a piece off the street with the, with the numbers filed off. This was a registered legal gun owner with no criminal record. Suzanne, this is, this is the NRA's hero, right? 
Should be. I mean, one would one would think he's he's doing what he's doing what he's meant to with he's done he did everything right as they would say. By the way, a couple of other things we want to point out that the police originally did file uh, file charges against Kenneth Walker, but the, but that case was dismissed. They ultimately felt ultimately decided that he was not at fault for this series of events. However, Breonna Taylor's family, of course, did file a suit against the city of Louisville. City of Louisville paid up big time. Of course, I, while I'm happy that Brianna Taylor's family won, ultimately they won slash they settled out of court on this lawsuit to the tune of twelve million dollars. We also are also a little bit sad because we know the city of Louisville won't miss a dime of that money. It's going to be paid for by the taxpayers of the city of Louisville. Right. So the city of Louisville settles out of court with Brianna Taylor's family, apologizing for the excessive force that led to Brianna Taylor's death and also pledge a variety of different programs to be instituted within their police departments to help something like this never happen again, along with paying the family $12 million. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to kind of leave you a hypothetical here and, and let you hit us with 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 some of the legal knowledge that laymen like me don't have. Seems like someone on the street is just following this story, and, and logically they're thinking, how is it that two parties shot at each other that night? One party shooting at the cops and hitting one in the leg, the cops shooting at them and blowing away a woman, and yet somehow no one's at fault, and at the same time, the city can pay her family $12 million and apologize, and then say the cops were totally in the right. Well, and this is the this is what was so strange about the settlement out of court, and this is what happens frequently when civil lawsuits are settled like this, is the um, the defendant party will suit, will will pay, mm-hmm. but then they will also admit no wrongdoing, and that's exactly what they did here. But if they did nothing wrong, interestingly enough, as of June of 2020, now they all are required to wear body cameras and have them on. And by the way. Um, Trisha, our good friend Trisha, mm. mentioned this as well. If you were going to be in a position where you could put yourself at, sig- at significant risk liability-wise or um, provide evidence to fellow officers should they become injured, why in the world would you not want to have that recorded? Yes. Yes, exactly right. I I, I agree completely. Um so uh, a couple of other things I, w- I want to get into here, because I know you've got a, a lot of notes. You, you tagged me in a meme. And by the way, never do that again. <laughs> you tagged me in a meme. So this was, this was the I gotcha from the thin blue line. I, yeah. I hope everyone's sitting down. So it reads, first of all, the truth about Breonna Taylor. Number one, she wasn't an EMT. She was terminated in 2017. Then kill her, by all means. Then, then kill that bitch, am I right? How dare you be yeah. terminated? She had it coming. So so to to that point right there, uh, I, I had already commented uh, previously. So so there actually is a statement on that in, in one of the news articles. So the, the, the attorneys for, the, for Taylor's family had clarified that she was actually working as an ER technician at the time of her death at, at March 13th with aspirations of becoming a nurse. So... So we'll 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 say we'll save the big the big bomb for for later on. But we'll just say for number one, I'm sorry she wasn't an EMT. I don't know anything about being terminated. I know she quit a job, but she was working as an ER tech. So I guess that's fake news. She wasn't an EMT. She was an ER tech. Number two, she was knee deep in criminal slash drug dealing activities with her ex boyfriend. 
I just don't know where these cocksuckers get this stuff, Suzanne. So, so again, as as I had commented previously, Brianna Taylor was not was not suspected of anything. Brianna Taylor has no criminal record. She was not under investigation for drug dealing in any way. Neither Taylor nor her boyfriend, a boyfriend who is not related to the ex, by the way, I want to uh, emphasize that again, have any record whatsoever. There's no evidence of drugs, none found at her home and no investigation into said facts. So we'll, we'll just chalk that one up to just pure on right wing retardation, but we'll move on. Number three, she was on jailhouse recordings running drugs for her ex-boyfriend. All right, I'm going to take a break, Suzanne, let you get in here. Where, do the, where are those recordings? Do the jail, what else can the jailhouse recordings tell us? Do they know who shot Kennedy? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I mean, if that was the case, you know, was she even on the warrant? I don't, I guess it had her, her house on there. I don't even remember that part. I just know they were there in the middle of the night looking for the drugs. I think we discussed that this afternoon. I'm having a hard time unwrapping so all this. So in the, in the um, documents related to the drug investigation of Glover and Adrian Walker, she is not named in the investigation, and Glover himself has said she had nothing to do with that, and they tried to give him a plea deal if he would name her as a co-conspirator, to which he said no thanks, because that's not true. So that's just... But they would have been okay if he lied anyway. Oh, of course. Number four. She was under surveillance for months running drugs. So again, to reference from number two and three, that's just simply not true. That's This is just a meme with no references whatsoever. That's simply incorrect. So so this actually harkens back to our, regi- our, our previous conversation about the postal office inspector. So first of all, the postal office inspector denies the official police report and what activity they did do concluded that she had nothing to do with anything. So So we'll move on. Uh, number five, she was on the warrant as her, was her car and apartment. So her address was on the warrant. This is true. That address, along with a couple of other addresses, were on the warrant to search for drug paraphernalia. And if they found drugs, uh, large amounts of cash, weapons, that they would be seized. Of course, remember, after all of this went down and after she had died, of course, they still searched her apartment. Guess what? Nada. Nothing. Uh, Next to last one, the officers did in fact knock and announced despite obtaining a no-knock exception on the warrant. So we've already discussed that ad nauseum. Imagine that, Suzanne. The people accused of murder say, nuh-uh, we didn't do it. Imagine that. But as we've pointed out, numerous, so every eyewitness except for one says that's not how it went down. And even the one who disagrees with their accounts still doesn't agree with the official police report. And finally, last one. Brianna's boyfriend fired at officers, striking an officer. Officers fired back, and Brianna took the shots. She was not asleep in her bed. So, according to these to these bootlickers, so because she was awake instead of asleep in her bed, I guess it's just open fucking season. Moral of the story, if somebody breaks down your door in the middle of the night, hide under the covers, put your head under the pillow, and pray it's not home invaders out there to murder you. Because if it's the cops and you try and defend your home, mm-hmm. uh, you deserve to be killed. End of story. Yeah, exactly that. So, and so ultimately, I just, I just want to, I just kind of want to put the finishing touches on that little meme that circulated around by saying, for one, it's all bullshit. But I think you and I will agree. I don't want to speak for you. I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself. That even if all of those things were true, that does not give the officers carte blanche to execute people they run across in their investigations. 
Well, again, all these people that are, you know, waving about the constitutional rights and, you know, bitching about masks, all of a sudden now are, are perfectly at ease with a woman being shot in her home in the middle of the night where no drugs were found. This is something that could have been handled a completely different way. You know, we're talking narcotics. We're not talking about somebody that's under an imminent threat of death that's a hostage situation or something like that. You know, let me again remind you of uh, the Fourth Amendment quote from uh, RBG, like her or not for the rest of her stuff, she gets it right here, that at no, no quarter does the Fourth Amendment apply with greater force than our homes, our most private space. So what we have to do now is balance these competing interests of such a fundamental, mm. natural right to be secure in your own home, for heaven's sakes, versus the state's interest in prosecuting the the crimes of, of possessing or distributing drugs, which arguably is a victimless crime. It actually becomes violent because of the prohibition of these drugs. And, you know, the first time I was on your show, Alan, a while back, you had asked me, where do you think things started going wrong with regards to government overreach? Mm -hmm. And immediately my first thought was when we decided, not when I say we, I'm talking about collectively um, the people that want these laws, decided it was important to, to legislate morality. And from that, we get the drug wars. And then also in another case that we read about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and this was the Mitchell case with warrantless searches, she was talking about the competitive nature of police and law enforcement. You know, mm -hmm. look at civil asset forfeiture. Look what they get when they bring more in and the benefits. I mean, this is an inherent built-in conflict of interest. And until this changes, we're going to see more of the same. As we were talking about before we went live, I said, did we learn anything from Rodney King? And you were quiet. I guess you were expecting me to have the answer. <laughs> but the point being, no, because we're seeing this again and again and again and not seeing any significant uh, change with regards to these laws. You know, now we're seeing people coming out and, and you know, the a presidential candidate talking about defunding the police, which is moronic because he is one of the architects of civil asset forfeiture. But this is a movement that's gaining a lot of... of um, of support. And the problem is, you know, I, if we could scale back significantly amount of laws and, and issues that would require police law enforcement intervention, I submit to you, we'd see a lot less of this. How many people are harassed or getting pulled over for a sticker off of their car, their vehicle impounded, um, you know, and that costs out here in Park City in Summit County, that'll cost you $2,500 if your sticker's outdated and they take your car away from yeah. you. How many people have been harassed in these situations and then have finally had it? And then you see people in your community getting shot, mm -hmm. getting killed in their homes. And then they said, OK, just chill. Let's trust the system. And yeah. then garbage like what happened today happens. Yeah. Well, I know that you and I, before the show, had discussed a little, kind of kind of just thinking rhetorically about what some of the fallout of this could be. And again, the, the state knew what the potential fallout would be just as much as we did, because they were boarding up their windows days in advance. So they knew exactly what was right. coming. Um, but but let's, let's just kind of think, and, and we got to really be careful with our words here, because goodness, goodness knows Suzanne's days are numbered on Facebook anyway, so I, I'm, I don't want to follow her into Facebook graveyard. But it, it seems to me that if 
if people keep seeing on the news innocent people being gunned down, beaten, whatever, by the police, and, you know, and we're really making today about Breonna Taylor, goodness knows there was a ton of other, of other examples, and, and, and I would even be willing to meet the right-winger part of the way and say, okay, maybe George Floyd wasn't the best poster child, although they still murdered him in the street. Maybe he wasn't, the, but you know what? Breonna Taylor was an excellent poster child, and they killed her too. And I, I, it just seems as was a Tatiana Jefferson. Tatiana Jefferson. It just seems to me that when when people see this, and I know that the, obviously, you know, this this may disproportionately affect the the black community and minorities. Um, and and I try not to make it a racial issue, but I I know that this keeps happening. Um, that when people see their neighbors being beaten or gunned down when they didn't do they didn't do anything. I mean, you just can't hang anything on Breonna Taylor here. Then it then it no. seems to reason that more people are going to say, well, if I get assaulted by the cops, I should just fight back because if if I fight back, there's a good chance they'll beat or kill me. But if I don't resist, there's a good chance they'll beat or kill me. So with with if if those are my options, I might as well just fight back. And I had said to you before the show, I think a lot more cops are going to die. And I'm not saying I endorse that, Zuckerberg. But I'm saying that I could see that happening because I could see a lot of people saying, fuck it. If this is what, if this is what could happen to me if I run afoul of the law, then I might as well take my, my fate in my own hands and fight back. And that's going to resort in more violence. So I guess first I'll ask you, does that seem plausible of an explanation to you that we could see more cops being hurt or killed? And then also, too, what is what is the one tried and true method the government always does when they're met with with resistance? Oh, they try to mend their evil ways. (laughs) (laughs) You almost you almost sound like you meant that. Listen, I think we I think we need to calm down because, you know, the Kentucky, the attorney general there, mm-hmm. um, he had actually said, and that's uh, Daniel Cameron. Mm-hmm. He said the decision before my office is not to decide the loss of Breonna Taylor's life. If it was a tragedy, he said, of course, it was a tragedy. So isn't that enough? He said it's a tragedy. Can we just move on? Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. it's. I think a lot of people are very frustrated, and rightfully so, that the one officer that was charged would charge because of wanton endangerment, because because he shot too many bullets that went into too many other apartments near too many other people. None of the charges have anything to do with Breonna Taylor. She's not listed as a victim in the indictment. She was completely unpersoned. I tell you what, if all if those wayward uh, rounds had hit Kenneth Walker and Breonna Taylor and taken them both out, this would be one big nothing burger. Yes, yes. If they were both dead, this would be one big nothing burger. If if the first officer had been a little bit more judicial with his marksmanship, then there would have been no charges, wouldn't there? Exactly. Oh, Just something to consider. Case closed. I think that more yeah. people will get hurt, and what's very sad about this is that. More people will violently resist more cops. And the state being what the state is means that they will double down with more violence on the citizenry, which will beget more violence, which will beget more violence, which will beget more violence. I'm not sitting here saying that that's what I want. It's absolutely not what I want. 
but I'm saying that I understand people that want to violently resist because they see things like today and they think it's been six months and 10 days since Breonna Taylor died. And we all sat around and we sat twiddling our thumbs and we told ourselves it's okay. Let's let the justice system work. It's clear that it doesn't. You know, we already seeing uh, uh, last before we went on the air, three officers shot yes. in Louisville and we just had two officers ambushed. Where was that? In Los mm-hmm. Angeles? Yeah. Two uh, SOs. So we're going to see more of this. And uh, what's so sad is this is this could have been preventable if the state would just for frick's sake, just back off on the victimless crimes, mm-hmm. stop treating everybody like we're a frickin ATM for the local coffers. And, uh, and get out of people's lives to the extent that, that they're harassed. I can understand, you know, when I, when this happened after George Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, regardless, whatever drugs he was on, as you said, he's not the greatest poster child, but my comment was, this is just the, the natural and entirely predictable outcome of a draconian police state. And for people that say, you know, uh, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, they'll never hurt you. Tell that to Tatiana Jefferson. Tell that to Ramon Castile. You know, these are people that were absolutely doing nothing wrong. I encourage people to read a book called Rise of the Warrior Cop by Radley Balco. Mm-hmm. I'm probably, I'm guessing you've probably read mm-hmm. that. And also watch a movie called Police State. That actually took place in uh, Davis County, Utah out here. A gentleman stars in this. He was the youngest SO, I think, in the, in the county's history, maybe in Utah's history. And he actually founded the Davis County SWAT and that very same team that he was responsible for found, founding in that country, in that county, I beg your pardon, uh, eventually killed his own son-in-law. And it's a really interesting examination, again, of the militarization of the police, of the force of these no-knock raids. I think if we can learn one thing from this at all is no-knock raids late night, these middle of the night, early morning, when people are in their beds sleeping raids over freaking narcotics or whatever they're, you know, these, nobody's in danger right yeah. now. There, these, these have to stop. Also, I think, um, again, I'm not saying that they're anywhere to, that they have any blame here. Just from a purely tactical point of view, I also analyze this because we have tactics and, and mm-hmm. plans in place. Mm-hmm. For the event that there's an invader in our home, I think anybody that wants to be prepared comes comes with that. And we've actually talked about that on my preparedness show, the Red Hot Chili Prepper. And you know, we were saying if if somebody's breaking into your home, and my firearms instructor, uh, the gr- late great Louis Auerbuck, had said, "What is the number one rule in a gunfight?" And of course, this was at the end of a tactical shotgun class, and I raised my hand and say, "When?" And he just points his finger at me and yells, "Don't! If you can avoid it at all." Don't get in a gunfight. So what's the lesson learned that could be happening here? Well, we did learn that she was shot in the hallway, meaning that there wasn't just a, a, you know, a common area and then a door to their bedroom. So what does that mean? That means if there's an intruder in your house and you're operating under the assumption, we don't know who these people are. They have not announced to our knowledge that they are police officers. They have kicked down our door. We don't know why they're in plain clothes. They're not dressed like law, like law enforcement. Stay in your room, or if you've at least seen them, go in there, barricade yourself in. And I, I hate to say call the cops, but call so you have a record. 911, put that speakerphone on, 
somebody is in my home, if they tell you there is a unit there, we need you to understand there's law enforcement, doesn't mean what they did was right, but it can certainly diffuse the situation. And then in the event it is not law enforcement, you've got them coming down a funnel where there's only one way. If they try to get in that room, they're stuck going in through that door and then you smoke them. But the way it is right now, he came out and he said he fired off a shot. He didn't really know what his target was. Know your target and what's beyond. So but mistakes were made on both of these. Uh, he did hit. He didn't, he didn't say, I saw somebody, I heard something, and I fired a shot. To me, that's not telling me he took aim and identified an intruder in the house. Going back and, and looking how could her life maybe have been saved by closing the door, not going out, and, and seeing what the situation is, assess if it seems like somebody's still in there, at the same time and it gets and it starts getting like it's it's more of a threat then you have the home field advantage you know where you can fire through a wall you should know where you can fire through where you can't and how and protect yourself in the event that you can get law enforcement there or else try to escape if you can get out and live through the experience do so i thought that was a really important thing that needed to be addressed here yeah and and you know we we could be giving some token political commentary on this i know that i know that a lot of people have already been pointing out that it, it it is so typical for every side of of the political spectrum to be seizing on a moment like this and explaining why they're the answer and and i know that the left is going to be doing this and it's in in the same way that you've brought up the drug war you know i i urge people you you're not gonna you're not gonna save any future Breonna Taylors from happening by voting for Joe Biden and Kamala fucking Harris. I mean, right. these, these are the champions of the system that got a dead Breonna Taylor in her hallway. Yes. They are the champions yes. of that system. They are in no way incentivized to change it. They are, they were totally incentivized to create it. So that's not going to do it. But, but but I but at the same time I don't really want to get too much into politics because I really want to keep the focus on Brianna Taylor herself in that I just there was something and 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 I'll let you have the floor after this before and and maybe we'll wrap up is that there was something that I had said all the way back in in, in late March when when I did the full show of it's too late on Brianna Taylor when when that was still fresh in the national consciousness. Um, I had ended the show by saying, I just, I just imagine myself coming home. Um, I live in, I live in South Nashville. The studio's down in Columbia. It's about an hour away here in Middle Tennessee, up I-65. And I just imagine myself coming home from the studio from work at, you know, whatever, five, six, seven o'clock, rushing home to get the episode home so I can get the stream ready and pulling up and seeing police cars parked all over the place in front of our townhouse and walking in and seeing our front door blown off of its hinges and seeing my Anna Kay lying dead on the floor and being told that, well, there was a raid and maybe they had the right house. Maybe they didn't. Maybe the warrant was wrong. Maybe the cops were wrong, but she's dead. And I can imagine I wouldn't care too much about the details I'd care a lot more that she was gone and I would want to hurt the people that hurt her. 
I think I think also what's got to be so infuriating for the family too, and why the detective Miles Cosgrave, the, who did not, he filed the fatal shot, but it was ruled justified, and that's why there were no charges against him. And what they said was, he had no part of the planning. Mm-hmm. He was just following orders, and followed police established police procedures. How many frickin' times do we have to hear they followed established police procedures? Maybe, maybe it's time to change some of these established procedures. I know out here in Utah, the chokehold's actually been banned, Mm -hmm. but to say he was just following orders, really? I know that there that would that would make you feel better if that if that situation if that happened to your sweet Anna Kay, um, if he was following orders, the, the shooter didn't take par- any part in the planning of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the and the attorney general said it was a tragedy. I'm sure that would make you. Be that okay would be a it. very weak read. <laughs> and and I'm not going to name any names, but I know that you and I know some folks who they they've looked at this case and cases like it. And that's sort of kind of what they've come to. Their conclusion has kind of been, well, it's it's a damn shame what happened, but I'm looking at the manual here, and I'm looking at the law over here, and I'm thinking, well, it looks to me like everything's up to snuff, but gosh darn, it sure is a shame what happened to old Brianna. And I got to tell yeah. you, the people that are out there on the street that are that are pissed off, that are saying the system is broken and we want justice— they don't they're not they're not interested in their their justice that they're looking for is not just well let's rewrite a statute because Brianna Taylor's still fucking dead. You rewriting the officer's manual is not going to bring her back to life. So I, let's talk about some serious justice now. And I'm not and I'm going to get myself banned. I know it's going to happen. I'm not trying to say that vengeance is the right thing. But I'm saying I understand it. I understand people who, when they get told by the attorney general, this is such a tragedy, but we've got to work the system. Them saying that's not good enough. I just, I'm just saying I understand it. You know, didn't didn't um, a football try- player a couple years ago try to raise awareness to this issue? Didn't he try to ask nicely? A while back, but everybody was so concerned and preoccupied <laughs> with the fact that, oh, he's disrespecting my flag. He's just—he's not—he's not standing for my national hymn. This could have possibly resulted in maybe some changes being made and prevented some of these deaths. But you know, the law and order Americans have their have their values and their priorities, and and changing this was clearly not enough. So you know what? Just expect more of the same. And if it ever happens to you, well, just know that the system will work itself out. Um, and if it doesn't happen to you, but it happens in your, in your city, wait for your city to burn because we are going to see mm-hmm. more of this. And what could have been a few protests that might have started as some brush fires of freedom is now going to end up in more tyranny, more gun control, more surveillance, more police states. This is just a disaster all around. And then, so now imagine... Let's say, let's say that that officer bled out, he got killed. Kenneth Walker is woken up in the middle of the night with his partner, Mm -hmm. and they hear, to their knowledge, somebody is 
busting into their apartment. Like any man should, he got out of bed to protect his woman. Mm -hmm. Let's say he kills that officer. He was already charged. Yes, it was dismissed, but he was charged with attempted murder. Let's say the officer perished. Mm -hmm. And now he is charged and at a, some, and he's convicted of murder. Mm -hmm. What has Donald Trump said that he wants to see? The death penalty for anybody that kills a cop. So by sleeping in your bed at night, having your door kicked in, doing the right thing, and protecting your woman, you could be the subject to a lethal injection by the state. Yep. It's... The real tragedy here, other than, of course, the real tragedy is Breonna Taylor is dead. The next tragedy is, is that every side of the political spectrum that seizes on this is not, none of those people are interested in liberty. They're, they're interested in being right and getting the keys to the car. There's a lot of bad actors out there on the streets tonight that they're not interested in abolishing the system like you and I might be they're interested in rebuilding it in their image and that's very much a different uh, a different motivation than what you and I would have and vice versa you're right then there's the right side of the political spectrum that because this is what partisan politics does you you must be the enemy of the other side because that's what partisanism is is that they, they will say that no matter what happens I am on the side of the of the law the authorities my cops and we, but we live in, in, in the real world, they can all be wrong, right? Like in the, in the real world, you, you can be wrong to just simply want to seize power and, and enforce your worldview on others in the same way that you can be wrong to just simply back the blue. Um, I, I had made a post just, just a little bit before the show went on that if, if you, if you're somebody that thinks that all white people are just inherently racist, then then just unfollow me, because you're just dumbass. And vice versa, if you think that Breonna Taylor was some kind of a drug dealer, and 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 and, and yes or no that she somehow deserved her fate, go ahead and unfollow me, because hell's not hot enough for you either. That I don't yeah. I don't and I was just gonna say really quick, and I, I'll let you uh, take over, is that. I don't even, you and I had discussed this and I told you I would, I would be per perfectly comfortable coming out and saying it. I don't even identify as a libertarian anymore. You useless cucks. I swear to God. So you got the left libertarians and the right libertarians. And I see a whole bunch of left libertarians saying, let's march with BLM. And I see a whole bunch of right libertarians saying, well, but, but the letter of the law says that the cops were justified. And I'm like, I guess I'm just not a libertarian because y'all are full of shit. No. I'm going to leave me the Ephelonian. You know, the sad thing also that's going to come about is how many people are going to hesitate when they really do need yes. to do the right thing in the event of a home invasion. One of my favorite um, teachers for uh, self-defense is Colonel Cooper, and he has a book called Principles of Personal Defense. And he's got seven principles in there. Briefly, what they are are decisiveness, aggressiveness, speed coolness, ruthlessness, surprise. How many of these are you going to forego? Oh, I don't know if that's a cop and I kill him. Oh, that's I'm going to get in trouble. Now they're in and your family is about to be killed because you hesitated. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So the last thing I saw, I, again, I, I don't want to get too caught up in all of these crazy ass 
breaking news reports. The last thing I saw is uh, three cops that have been uh, gunned down now in Louisville. Uh, one is stable. Two of them are currently in surgery. Um, oh, they're they're getting a little clever. So everybody knows that the rioters like to shoot off fireworks and and shoot their shoot their sparklers at the cops. Some of them are shooting fireworks, and when the cops go towards the fireworks, real gunfire opens up on them. That is an absolutely, I'm I'm not saying I condone it, Zuckerberg. Predictable. It's a predictable it's consequence of everything that's led us to this moment. Absolutely. <sighs> Suzanne, do you have anything else in your notes? I, I feel like I feel like we've pretty well exhausted the the Brianna Taylor specific part of the story. I mean there's I, I mean there's really nothing else to say other than May she rest in peace. There's, I I obviously feel so bad for her and feel so bad for her family, but I also genuinely, even if they don't politically align with me, I genuinely feel bad for people that want justice for her and believe that justice comes from the same state that delivered the injustice. If they that they think that the ballot box, that they that the voting booth. And their favorite politician is somehow going to change things. And I feel bad for them, too, because they're so wrong. Right. They're just in for more disappointment. They are. Do you have a final thought? Thanks for having me on here. Well, I'm sorry that it's just kind of a kind of a downer. Well, well, I'll have to have you on to talk about comic books next time. And then and then I'll have Mark come back on to talk about dead people. Um. <laughs> That's just, I don't know, guys, thank you so much for kind of hanging out with us after the show. You know, like I yeah. said, we, we had our show planned in advance and even all the way up to this afternoon, I was thinking, well, we've got a perfectly good show here and we wanted to take a week off. But as I have said several weeks now, when covering other instances of police brutality and murder, I would, I want to quit covering it, but they just won't stop killing people. So, well, you know, I keep seeing the memes that if parents, you know, went back to whooping their kids' asses, this wouldn't be a problem. Shit. It's, but you know what? A lot of those same people see the government as their parent and the police is whooping ass. Exactly. That's, exactly. Where's, don't you have a site for them to go to? Oh, yeah. So they can go to euthanasia.com slash police brutality to get the information they need to make the right choice for them. We're here to help. Well, Suzanne, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out of here on this one. I'm throwing a curveball at you. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my internet went down. Oh, oh no 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 no! <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I, I, okay, hold on, really quick in the live chat. Lal Durio says, "Can we go back to war with Iran?" <laughs> <laughs> I did actually see someone point out that I haven't heard anything about terrorism in months. Between COVID and and police brutality, terrorism just went away. So I guess I guess Bravo pandemic. I I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I want to go back to seeing brooms standing up on my newsfeed. Yeah. So have I asked you the one about grilled cheese yet? I could pretend and say no and get the answer right. That, no. Well, then that's not fair. We're not. <laughs> that's absolutely not fair. Is that the one about the melt? Yes. Is, is a grilled cheese a, cheese a melt? Absolutely not. How dare you? Because a melt has something else in there. I know. I got one right. All right. Well, we'll <laughs> let you out of here on that one, guys. Thank you, COVID. Sherry. Uh, we, we can do one for Blake. Did Blake, is Blake's animal a guinea pig? We have a lot of fun with Blake's farm animals. 
And I don't mean it in a gross way. I mean it like well, in a language uh, way. Blake says stuff like that all the time, <laughs> and he gets them. You know what, Suzanne? Just really quick, just for you, I'm actually going to pull up a a picture of Blake's new animal and show it to you live here on the air. I had I had mentioned this in the show today, and then didn't didn't show it. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna show. I'm gonna see if I can find a good picture of this thing, and. uh and let everyone one of them looks like a cross between a mule deer and a jackrabbit yeah that's it with raccoon paws what the yeah, hell is so that? you can see it but i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna save it so that i can show it to everybody at home um <laughs> because what what kind of what kind of expert producer would i be if i didn't if i didn't show this to the whole world um <laughs> so bear with me people are the people are still watching like what the hell happened to this show I was like, are they ever going to shut up? This is no, this is it. This is the last thing. I'm going to show you the new, the new animal that Blake got. The new animal's not the kid, by the way. That's Blake's youngest son. Um, so he went out and got one of these things. Um, that is a Patagonian Mara. That is, it. That is. That's all. <laughs> it simply is. That is a thing. And Blake has one, and I'm for for those of you at home. Uh, remember March twentieth, twenty twenty one. That's next year's live show at the studio. I'm I'm on Blake to, to get him to have a petting zoo ready, so maybe he'll bring his Patagonian Mara for all of you to marvel at. Um, but there you go. So we've we've ended the show on a high note. Well done. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to whatever the hell, the, the It's Too Late After Show with Suzanne Sherman. And we will see you next week.